ask you to speak to us. Speak deep into our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, would you shift us? Would you move us? Would you mold us? Pray for your grace this morning, Lord, as I serve these dear people. Put your hand on me, Lord. Put your hand on us as a community. Let the nations wait for us, Lord, to be able to sing those words. I'm loved by him. <laughs> That's who I am. Sure. We're so grateful. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And take a seat. Say hello to someone next to you. It's great to be here this morning. Thank you so much to Heather and the team up here. Thank you. Really great. Oh, got this light. It really is a joy to be back in Missoula, and thank you so much for making us all feel so welcome. It did feel like we were coming back to family, and uh, we were driving here this morning, and uh, Trevor and I and Rachel were just chatting about how um, at home we do feel in Missoula, which is a lovely, lovely feeling. I was um, thrilled to arrive here because obviously it's been a very short time that we have been working together but to see more and more of a family feel um, starting to, to grip our hearts, a togetherness, which is wonderful. And I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, once again, Trevor and Rachel, thank you for saying yes a year and a bit ago to come and be here. And um, there's lots of fruit to what you've done. Thank you very, very much. So grateful. And I hope that that will be a pattern that we are able to follow in the years to come, because all over the world there are wonderful works of God, and um, we can serve each other so well. So it's good to be with you. Um, Heather sends her love when we were last here together, just over a year ago. Um, I spoke to you from Gateway Church Dubai, or, or brought a greeting. That's no longer the case, because we left Dubai early May, and we are now residents in uh, the great city of London um, and are settling down into a new lifestyle there where we felt as a couple God wanted us to be there to try and get some control over Ray Lowe. And um, <laughs> Sue is an absolute angel, but um, the Lord felt he better bring in the big guns for this guy. Um, but no, we really felt that God moved our hearts for the nation and for the churches across the nation, and just to go and be among them for a while, both to help and also to learn. And um, it's been a bit strange because we've been there some uh, five months now, I think it is, but we've been traveling a lot, so we're not quite sure where home is. But um, we were in South Africa on Monday um, after a very, very busy week with uh, 22 leaders, Brian and Andrew um, were both with us, and then it was straight back to London. I dropped Heather off. We had, I had 22 hours, get some clothes together, and off to Heathrow to come here. And sadly, Heather is not as robust as I am, although I'm realizing I've got a few cracks as well. So I hope that God's going to energize me this morning as um, I get into this message. It always does that, so I never worry about these things. Um, as I mentioned, we 
had this extraordinary time on our, I've got to call it a ranch, not a farm, a ranch, um, back in South Africa, where 22 of us gathered. And um, the whole idea of doing these times is to begin to serve one another. We have a wonderful understanding and a value that we want to be there for one another's success. So that means we need to be together. We need to know each other. We need to befriend one another. We need to share our lives with one another. And so God has enabled us to begin to do these week sessions during the year with different leaders. And I think we'll most probably end up doing couples as well. Um, for obvious reasons, I'm not able to gather 22 ladies on the farm, although that would be interesting. Um, but um, really trusting God that we can get to know and share our lives. Because when I read scripture, when I read the story of Paul and the other apostles and those who spread out across the nations to bring the good news, there was such a deep relationship. It was a family field. It wasn't an organization. And um, so I'm absolutely thrilled by what we did. Sharing time with Brian and both with Andrew was just a fabulous time. 20 other two, 22 other guys, I think we were from 11 different nations or so across the regions beyond family. Um, so very, very exciting. On the final day, we um, take time to all share what God has been speaking to us personally about. We throw wide the gates to our hearts, um, which is quite unusual for many men, um, but it, it just has been so rich. And finally, we then split into small groups and spread over the whole region because we have some seven or eight or nine churches. Bryant uh, went with a team into Lesotho, the rural hills of Lesotho, to um, go and be with them. It was great to hear. And Andrew headed down to the TNT Tavern, or what it used to be. It's now called Sapong Church. And um, I've not had the privilege, yes, isn't that lovely? I've not had the privilege of actually going there since standing on this platform and seeing that all happen. All I see is reports and a few photographs. So Andrew, where are you this morning? Um, come up here. And I wonder if I could also invite all the, the guys, if you are here this morning, that went out there last year. So if you were in Manyatseng, uh, it was last year, yes it was. Come on, give them a cheer. Um, and I'd love Andrew just to share because he came back as most of the guys did that spread out across the region with such fabulous stories but I thought it'd be great to hear firsthand go for it Andrew sure yeah first off we we just had an amazing week last week so I want to thank uh, not only uh, our church Clark Fork City Church for uh, sending me and my son as well but thank you for hosting us so well uh, it really was just a week of, of God deepening relationships with uh, other leaders, also very introspective. So when he, uh, when he mentions that it was very uh, open-hearted and vulnerable, that was the reality. Uh, and on the tails of that, we, we headed to these churches. And so for me, I was a little uh, introspective, a little emotional about all this. And then to, uh, to think that I got to go to the, uh, the church, Sapong Church and Lady Brand, for me, the next day on that Sunday... Uh, really, it was just such a heartfelt thing. I almost felt like, God, why me? Why, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't belong here. I'm not qualified. And um, God just spoke to me and said, you'll know what to say when you're there. It was really great as they drive us into this township. 
Uh, if you can just picture how different it is from Missoula, Montana. It's a, uh, there's no asphalt streets. There's no tall buildings. The, the air is a little uh, dusty and dirty. And so as we pull in, uh, you know, looking around and people all over the streets and, and housing uh, different than ours, I uh, just got this sense of, God, what can I say to these people? This is a people that in faith have uh, endured so much. And I just felt God give me a peace as we pulled up to the church. Uh, we actually had problems finding it. We're on the phone trying to locate where it's at. Uh, there's a few language barriers uh, between us. And we find the church because we know it's got that purple uh, trim there, <laughs> right? We know the stories last year the team shared of, of why that color was chosen. And you just show up and you can just sense in this place, uh, a place of hopelessness, of, of desperation, just a lighthouse for that town. As we were there, we, uh, we kind of pulled up in our rented van, and the other guys that were with us uh, left me and, and an older gentleman from uh, north of India, Gurmeet, left us there, and they headed to Lesotho, and they said, all right, it was about 9, 9.15, <laughs> they said, we'll see you about 3 or 3.30, and church was at 10, and so I kind of had my backpack, and, and I looked over, and kind of felt my pockets, had a little bit of money. And so we said, okay, here we go. And so we walked in, and just from the very beginning of being there, such a family feel to what was going on, and, and very welcoming, hospitable. We started with prayer, and uh, just to be there to meet uh, the faces we'd seen and many of the pictures and, and heard from many of the stories. Uh, I think a, a few things I just want to say about that church. Uh, Lifa, the, uh, the leader who's gathering people there, what I just sense, if you look on the wall, uh, they've got a map uh, at the front, and on the left, they have what are their church values. And uh, these values have come from uh, being in Clarence, being with uh, other churches led by Steve. And really just the story of this church community is these values. And, and if we talk about what, uh, what Trevor said last night, that vision seizing us. Uh, these values seized Letha and those that were with him. It seized him so much that there wasn't even a church, but yet he gathered people in his house. He, he plastered these visions that were in his heart and from God's heart and the word. And out of those things, this community has been birthed. So for me, just to be there and to hear them talking about uh, receiving offerings, embracing the poor among them. Yeah. You know, you look around and like, they might not know it, but they are the poor. And they're, they're receiving uh, money for orphans. They're uh, standing up, and he brought up all the different nations that were in the church that morning, which is uh, Zimbabwe, India, U.S., and then uh, South Africa. And as he's, he's sharing wow. with us, wow. uh, yeah, as he's sharing with us uh, how we are one man in Christ, you know, these values that he's, he's had in his heart and put on, on this uh, the sheet on the wall, you're seeing these things lived out. And for me, these, these values, the heart of God, uh, the church, Acts 2.42, those seeds, this is possible anywhere. And so as I'm there, I'm seeing this, and, and the good report is this. Uh, a ton of people showed up, 60 people on that Sunday. So if you look, it still smells like a tavern. It looks a little bit like a tavern. There's holes in the roof. But yet in that, God has raised a community that's doing great things, and so I'm sure we'll hear as they're, uh, as they're moving forward, exciting things ahead. So uh, amazing. The, the, uh, the other thing 
is, uh, and we had some prophetic words with the church, but it's not just going to be the nations going to these places. The, the avenue is both ways. And so just all these values of we're there for one another. We're uh, supporting each other. We are the strong support the weak as they're able uh, in this church and through what, what we've all done here. It was so amazing to see these things in operation. So that's what I've got. Fantastic. Amen. I had the um, terrible task of closing the original church down in this township because of poor leadership. It nearly broke my heart just before we left there to go to Dubai because of a real leadership failure. And Leifa picked it up, as Andrew said, in his home. And when I heard this report, I cannot tell you how I felt inside. Leafa started with some 12 people. It went up to 22, I think, when we began building this facility. When we gave last year, there were 20-odd people of all different ages. And now we see 60 people. And I just want to say to all of you as guys, thank you so much. We got more than we did. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you did for our nation. Many more. Many more. I do understand that one of the team is in hospital this morning. You'll have to remind me of his name. Wayne, Wayne um, is in hospital this morning. So very quickly, let's just pray. Father, I thank you for these men, their families who are so eager and willing to release them to what for many could have been something so irrelevant or why go to such a poor place. But in your heart, Lord, we see your glory on display. We pray for Wayne now, Lord, that you would restore him quickly. Raise him up this morning, Lord. Strengthen that heart, we pray, in your wonderful name. Amen. Thank you so much, gentlemen. God bless you. Give them a big round. Come on, a big cheer. Thank you so much for that offering last year. I don't think we ever dreamed how effective it would be, and um, I really know that God's got so much for us. This is a small picture of who we are as a movement of churches across the world. And um, every second year in Dubai, we gather the wider family from around the nations, and at one time, you can see them all on a platform like we've just had these few guys now. So if you are available next November, come and join us in Dubai for the Hub Conference. Our um, name is Regions Beyond, which is more about what we long for, what we want to carry than who we are. But we are a family, a diverse family of churches joined together in apostolic partnership. And this is what it looks like. It means that the teachers can go and teach. It means that the preachers can go and preach. It means that the builders can go and build. It means the electricians can go and give us some power. It means that everybody from the front row to the back row to the sides to the, those working with the young people today can be caught up in this most wonderful work. I want to read to you from Acts chapter 4, a couple of verses, um, and then I want to bring you God's word this morning, a word that God laid in my heart while I was in South Africa. 
I, it caught me a bit by surprise, and I hope that I'll be able to open it up well and instruct you well this morning. Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Every pastor's dream. <laughs> and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, when your people are unified, both in mind and body and soul, in every way, when they've thrown themselves in, it gives you power to testify. And so with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, obviously pointing to this community all the time. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, reading that, you must probably thinking, oh dear, this guy is going to speak to us about money. Well, I'm not. I'm going to ask you for something much more precious than that this morning, and that is your life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. In these verses, we get this beautiful picture of what we heard about last night, of what Nehemiah started building as Trevor so beautifully. I felt, Trevor, I was watching you paint a masterpiece last night. But we get a glimpse of what it looked like, this new community that had been born by the Spirit. And secondly, we're introduced in this passage to one of the champions of the early Jesus-centered community, Barnabas. And if you're anything like me, he's one of your heroes. And he was one of the first men in the Bible that really gripped my heart because of a strange introduction. And in my preparation for this conference, I felt God lead me to this passage and begin to give me insight into what real togetherness looks like. And then I felt quite caught off guard as he began to show me things about Barnabas that I hadn't seen before. And I'd like to bring them today in a bit of a prophetic way. We are joined together as an apostolic family. And the word apostle is become, has become quite a, a churchy word over the last couple of years. If you want to gather a great crowd and you want to do a good conference, find someone who has the title with a big A, Apostle. And you find that so often these days. But it wasn't the case in Paul or Luke's time as this was written. 
And I'd love to give just a quick explanation because without understanding of what the servant gift is, we can get lost in some of the terminology and what things looked like. It wasn't a title and it wasn't a position. It was a servant gift to the church by the risen Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 4, 11. Apostolos, the word, means sent one, or emissary, or envoy. Someone sent to uh, announce, or proclaim, or establish. And that was the context in which it was used in the day that scripture was written. It would have been used in different ways, in everyday language. For instance, when a king was established, let's say Julius Caesar, they would gather a group of heralds, emissaries, envoys, and send them right across the empire or the kingdom and pronounce, there is a king on the throne. There would be heralds to the far ends of the kingdom. There is a king on the throne. And hopefully people would rejoice. It wasn't always the greatest thing to hear. Or... When a nation, empire, Roman Empire took new ground, they would send an envoy, an apostle, an emissary to go and establish kingdom values in that new territory, to lay foundations so that wherever land they took, it would look like Rome. And so when Paul writes, inspired by the Spirit, Luke writes, we get this backdrop of these gifts that were given to the church that there is a king on the throne, a very good one, a wonderful king. What good news. I mean, sometimes I don't think the heralds were received so well, particularly where there's already been a tyrant on the throne who's taxed you to death and taken all your sons away to war or whatever. There is a new king on the throne. You think, oh no, what now? We have the role of saying there is a king on the throne. <laughs> he heals the brokenhearted. He sets the captives free. Wow, what a role. And this is the role of the apostolic gift. And so as I speak to you this morning about being an apostolic people group, it means that there is a longing in our hearts that each and every one of us is caught up in this great adventure. Far too long, as we heard last night, the church has become so front-led, back to a priestly model, whereas it was never intended to be like that. It was always meant to be everyone all together on a mission carrying this wonderful message. A king is on the throne. Our task continues as it did in Manyat Singh and what fruit we are now seeing. I hate to tell you this, we need a bigger building. Most people agree that Luke included this beautiful introduction to Barnabas because of the role that Barnabas was going to play later on. He was saying, we want to introduce him because as we get to later on in Acts, you're going to hear about this man's ministry and the impact he had on the churches. 
And I think that's a very true and clear understanding. And later in Acts 11, we see this man now accomplished, this Levite from Cyprus, who started off, as we heard last night, being arrested by God for his purposes. We see him going up to Antioch from Jerusalem as a skilled master builder in so many ways. But I'd like to share an insight with you. And th I, because I think there's another reason that... Barnabas was so highlighted in the early chapters of Acts. And as I read this, I thought, I've actually seen this. I've done this. I know what this means by things that I have done over the years now in this role that I play. Let me explain it to you this way. In 2009, Heather and I left the area where um, Sapong churches. What's Sapong mean, Trevor? Okay, Hope Church in the local language, Sesutu. And um, we left there and we were called to move to Dubai quite sovereignly. I think I shared a little bit last time I was here. I can't remember how much detail I gave, but God spoke to me just out of the blue. It was like cut across our lives. And as I began to investigate the church that God was calling us to lead in Dubai, I was horrified by some of the things I learned. The main one was the transience of the city. Many people moved to the Middle East because it's a wonderful tax-free community. That sounds good, eh? Tax-free, so whatever you get paid, you get paid. There is a, a form of taxation that works behind the scenes that most Dubai people know about, but they go there for a few years, two, three years, and then they're off. And yet God's calling. The call in my heart was to go and build an apostolic base of sent people that would reach out to the nations. But what I found was a people who were so transient that by the time you've got this one, they've gone. They've gone. They've moved on. I couldn't believe it. I can remember crying out to God saying, you've got the wrong person. I love being with people that stay. Are you sure about this? But what it did do, it called me to much prayer. And as we kicked off in early 2010, I taught on the church and Trevor when I listened last night, I thought, where were you when I moved to Dubai? That message would have really helped me. <laughs> Don't keep these secrets to yourself. I taught on vision about the church. That, as JR said earlier, that what we read in here is possible. Whether it's in a township under a tin roof that leaks a little, or whether it's in a great facility, town in Montana, city in Montana, great city of London, I started to teach that. I started to cast a vision about what God wanted to do with us in Dubai. And slowly but surely, I saw the change coming. And one, more, one meeting, I preached a message about the true apostolic church, which I'm going to do a version of it tomorrow morning if God doesn't do something different. And I painted the picture of this glorious church 
the church in Ephesus, and I gave lots of explanation, and I held it up as a, as a model, as a template, and I said, I feel this is what God's calling us to look like. And I believe that that is a picture of a true apostolic church. I felt the message went well, the response was great, we were growing so much at the time, and at the end of the meeting, prayed for lots of people who responded. And as I walked out, I left the, the platform later. At the back of the hall, I found a very dazed young man who was working in Dubai for a season. He is well known to many of you in the room, Tom Houston. And he was sitting in his chair, and he was looking absolutely dazed. He was sitting like this. And his eyes were big. And the realization had just come upon him that he had been baptized into this church. He had been arrested for the purposes of God. And he said, Steve, come speak to me. He said, my contract in Dubai has come to an end. I've done my stint. I'm heading back to the UK. My parents want me home. We have some family issues, some care issues, and being the eldest son, they want me there. But I cannot leave. God is going to do something special here, and I want to be part of it. Well, I tell you, if I'd known him better, I most surely would have kissed him from the top of his head down to his toes and then up the other side. <laughs> Tom extended his contract. His mom and dad released him because they saw God had work in him. He met the most wonderful young lady in the church and they married later. They now have a little son. He grew in leadership and when it came for time for us to leave Dubai a few months ago, Tom came on staff at Gateway Church South. I celebrated like I haven't celebrated before. Because in my mind was this massive mountain of transience, of people coming and going. And here was my first fruits, where God had arrested someone. God had got hold of him without, well, I was working very hard, but without any, you've got to stay. There's no way you're leaving. Where's your passport? It was a work of the Spirit. I celebrated. I thought, wow, God, this is what I long for. Now, Lord, the other 400. Such a joy for me this morning to see Linda Stemple sitting here. Her husband, Mark's not with us. And then James and Luciana as well. All three from Dubai. Won't you stand? Not any longer, are you? But stand quickly. Ex-Dubaianites, lovely to have you. Really great. And God began to create a culture of church that was to open up Pakistan and Philippines and India, Mauritius, into Africa with Linda and Mark in Ethiopia. I thought, God, it can be done. And when I read this story, I thought, 
I know when Luke investigated the birth of the early church and what happened, the apostle said, you've got to speak about Barnabas. Because I believe that Barnabas was like a sign of the first fruits of people who were arrested, of a man who was arrested for the purposes of God. He had been baptized into their ways. The early church must have been such an exciting place to be. The verses before Barnabas mention it. I mean, it's extraordinary. You read this and you think, wow, talk about countercultural. I mean, these people must have stood out. Many years later in the Senate in Rome, one of the Caesars, I forget his name now, about 300 AD, had a whole rant in front of the Senate because of the effectiveness of the church and the way they looked after each other. And he said, how come these pious Galileans are able to get it right, but we mighty Rome are unable to even look after our own people? This was the church of Jesus Christ. And Luke is, is investigating the early church and he's recording it, putting lots of effort to get the accuracy. They say, mention Barnabas. He was our first fruits. This early church, full of promise, but also full of the fulfillment of promises. These words that Luke chooses are not just by the by. There's such deep meaning in all of them. So even his reference, there were no needy among them. Deuteronomy chapter 15. God had promised that at a point he would do a new things where everything would come together, where a people would be born. And when that happens, one of the marks of those people will be there will be no needy people among them. The Israelites never got it right. It was only the birth of the early church. And Luke wants the readers to know it. The time has come. He's making the striking, controversial claim that the early Christian movement, in effect, is the true covenant community that God had always, had in, had always intended to establish. Barnabas was the answer to apostolic prayers. For the apostles to reach the nations as instructed by Jesus, they needed a mobilized people. Reaching the nations was never locked up in 12 or even 120. It was a blanket promise to the church, to the whole church, to every church. Brian went across to one of the churches, the first church, second church, third church, I planted, called Riobotti, Rioboth. He went across there. And last Sunday, we planted a new church in England called Chesterley Street. And I said to them, before they go, when you arrive there, please remind them to pray for the church in England. And I think it was Dave Ward, one of the other leaders with us, said to them, by the way, Steve asked, could you pray for Chesler Street? And they said, ah, we've already done that. We've been praying for them all morning. And you think, how on earth does this happen? They've been caught up. And if we're going to reach the nations, that's what God wants. 
The apostles didn't want to crowd. They didn't want to crowd, and Barnabas is the first fruits. He encapsulated, encapsulated all they'd hoped for, all they'd dreamed of. For me, Tom Houston that morning was, I could have retired, thought, Lord, I've seen it. It's possible. Brothers and sisters, we're a movement now on five continents. Our churches are growing in maturity and effectiveness, together with Ray, Trevor, many, many others. We are working so hard to build a family that has a deep care for one another. In other words, we're trying to go deep before we go wide, which sometimes is quite hard, particularly when God says what I would normally do in seven years, I'm going to do in seven months. And you think, hey, Lord, give us a break. Moving to the UK has been a wonderful, wonderful experience for Heather and I. Over the summer, as Trevor mentioned last night, this wonderful word, a summer of salvation. And I can remember in the room, in the various contexts, the excitement. Because over the summer, it was a time where the churches just went into let's exist until everyone returns. But it wasn't to be. As Trevor said, in their community, 30 plus people saved. In the church where Heather and I are based, which is an inner city London church, Thornton Heath, among the poorer people of London, we saw 31 people saved. So we've seen well over 100 people saved. I don't know the full number, Trevor. It's just extraordinary. And I got a message yesterday from one of the leaders. Hey, summer's not over. JR, they're living with that expectancy. They've bought in. They're saying, if this can happen during summer, imagine what we can do the rest of the year. It's been a wonderful thing to see happening. There have been so many remarkable testimonies. But not only in the UK, in India. Just such good things. We planted a church there called One Nation Church. Because India, if you know its history, it was divided into different classes of people. And depending which tribal community you were born in, you were slotted in. And that was your lot in life. And so when I started working in India, I said to him, this is not what I read in here. And in here are all the tools for us to build a church that can truly be one nation. And so we started building this community of rich and poor, of English and Hindi, of Marathi and other Indian languages. And it's been hard work. It's countercultural. Everybody says to us, it won't work in India. Steve, it might work in Africa, it won't work here. I think it will work. My Bible tells me so. One new man in Christ. Why do we have to meet because we speak different languages? Why can't we just loosen up a little bit and sing in somebody else's language? That was lovely last night. I felt so at home. Thank you so much. Siabonga. Thank you. And so we started building this church, and it's been tough, and I was there in January, and while we were praying together with leaders, saying, God, when will you move here? I felt God speak to me about Naomi and Ruth, and you'll know that their journey begins where they have to live off the gleanings of the land. 
And God said to the church, one nation, the season of living off the gleanings is over. Go and get your harvest. I want to say this very quickly. I believe that's a word for a person this morning, or maybe more than one, as I was praying this morning. So somebody has been using that term or that terminology to speak about their life. If that's you, I'd love to pray of you because I believe that God's going to take you into a new season of harvest. So come to me afterwards. I'd love to pray with you. From that time, they're no longer a hundred and odd people in one nation church. They're gathering about 230 of last weekend. God's just begun to work. Such great stories. We had a wonderful piece of land in Burundi, right in the heart of Africa. Listen, if you don't know your world map, can I encourage you, go and buy one this week. There's a fabulous shop here. Trevor took me there once that would have a world map. The bookstore, Trevor. Eh? Barnes and Noble. They'll wonder what's happened in Missoula that everybody's coming in to buy a world map. I suppose you're going to get it on your iPad. Eh? Sorry, I'm a bit old-fashioned. But you stick it up on your wall. And you learn the nations because right in the heart of Africa is a nation called Burundi. And God did such an amazing thing for us. He gave us a piece of land, $160,000. You know how much money that is for us as a small movement? We had none of it. In the meeting, someone came forward and just said, I'd like to buy that land for you, Barnabas. And we got the land. We started working there. Civil war broke out or on the edge of it in Burundi. All the people we work with had to flee the nation. And you think, Lord, what was that about? Guess where they went? Next door country called Rwanda. Managed to get a massive piece of land, set up a big farming project. And guess what we have in Rwanda now? A beautiful church. And now they're going back to Burundi. And you think... God, that's why I've got so little hair, I think. I need to grow in faith. I live with these stories. I think, Lord, our people, I think of the, all the people we're reaching out, and then suddenly the leaders have to leave because we find their names on a hit list in Burundi because they're serving the poor, and the government doesn't want anyone to have influence over the masses. So we have to get them out the country. <laughs> God, such great stories, India, Philippines, Africa, Rio. We get to share tonight as we take an offering for the work that's happening in Rio, in that great city where Trevor's going to tell you more a little bit later as we launch into the favelas, sort of a, a slum area. Brothers and sisters, there is this incredible adventure, and I haven't even mentioned the United States. This country is unbelievable. I've done the Northwest and I've done New York. And I understand there's quite a bit in the middle, so they tell me. <laughs> a fair bit. Brothers and sisters, the work is enormous. So what am I saying this morning? Here's my message. We need a Barnabas-type response. I need a Barnabas-type 
response. I think the apostles would have celebrated a few things. And I want to take you through them this morning. Because you see, when God arrests you, you start living with his plans. You start living with his plans. His plans dominate your thinking and your life. Heather and I, while we were in Dubai, we had this dream. And it was to return to our very beautiful property in the mountains of South Africa, where we've just been. And we worked very hard in Dubai, and we lived with this dream. We'll be able to go back soon. That's where our family is. Eldest son, Cameron, his wife, Lorene there. New little baby. I'm a grandfather now. You wouldn't believe it, eh? (laughs) Fabulous. This dream. And you live with it. But you know what we've learned over the years? Hold it lightly. And then while in trip to the UK, God spoke to us and said, I want you here for a season. And I'd sat with Trevor and Ray that afternoon, do you remember? Tuesday afternoon, I said, guys, um, I've got something to tell you that God said, I need to come and join you. Well, Ray Lowe was almost ready to go pack up our house and move us there, is that tomorrow? And I said, well, listen, Heather knows nothing about this, so can we just... And Heather flew into the UK to come and join me because I'd been there for some time and it was lovely. And I said, let's go out to dinner to this early evening together. And she said, oh, just have some time with you. That'll be wonderful. Let's go. And we go out and I've got this thing hanging over me. I can feel the weight of it, you know. And I said, um, Hev, I need to speak to you. And she says, oh, no. Where are we going now? (laughs) Praise God for her. It wasn't a battle at all. But you learn to hold things as God gets hold of you. And every place I go, I don't know what it is, you just feel such an ownership for communities. Because that's what Jesus is like. When they tried to stop him moving, I remember saying this to you last year, when he was in Capernaum, great breakthrough, the whole town gathered to Peter's house. And then he's missing. Jesus, where have you been? All the people are looking for you. And he says, come, let us go to the next town, next village. It's the apostolic call of our hearts. We need to build well in the local church so that it enables us to go on and on and be heralds to the good news of Jesus Christ. My longing, my heart, is that next year we would see a a church planted per month. That's that's the longing. That's my apostolic prayer, worldwide that is. It would be lovely if that was just America, but I'll give you a, a year to catch up and get ready. But every month next year, 
like we did last weekend, Chesterley Street, small town in England, but people are owning it and believing God. In January, we launched into another town in the UK called Swindon, where we've already got one church, and they are sending a hundred and odd people across to the other end of the town to begin a new work. The following month, we launch a church in Bloemfontein, South Africa, city right in the heart of the country, the city where apartheid was given birth to, that horrible system that in our nation separated people, classed people, took dignity away from people. Now God's called us to plant there. We already got a family, two families, three families on the ground there waiting February next year. And if we can just see that continue. And I believe that the apostles, as they saw this church blossoming, that everyone's needs being taken care of, there was one longing in their heart, is that it wouldn't be locked up in a nice, cozy, well-cared-for community. But a time would come when suddenly God would breathe on it. And the Barnabases, I don't know what the female equivalent of Barnabas is, I don't want to call you Barbie because I just that doesn't work for me. <laughs> Help me, somebody. Anyway, Barbasai. <laughs> okay, we could get lost here. Hey? But I think they were longing to see these little signs that the people had not only caught the true sense of what community looks like, but they'd understood the great big narrative of God that every tribal group, every clan, people group would be reached with the gospel. Very quickly, let me tell you what I think they celebrated. And this comes from my experience of celebrating. The first thing I think they celebrate when they celebrated when Barnabas turned up and we don't know which piece of land he sold because Levites didn't own land in Israel. So it might have been a burial plot or could it be land in Cyprus where he came from? We don't know. But he turned up one day and said, listen, I'm sold out for this mission. I'm not going to be needing this any longer. You'll know what to do with it. I must get back and serve. And I think they must, yes, he's got it. He's seen. So let me tell you some of the things. Number one, I think they possibly celebrated the birth of a diverse people. And that's why they detailed so clearly he's a Levite, but he's from Cyprus. Because for the apostles, suddenly they're realizing, here we go. The birth of a diverse people. In the nations, in the press, right across the world, there seems to be a move towards a more nationalistic spirit. Brothers and sisters, my understanding of Scripture is that is the opposite to what we read here. The best way that we can put Jesus on display in the nations is through diversity. It was so lovely spending time with Andrew on the farm. And before we went, I had 22 names and I only had a certain number of bedrooms. So I spent a lot of time before God saying, Lord, who should be in whose room? I'm serious. To make it work well, it needed to be well organized. 
And so I put Andrew with a friend of mine from North India, Punjab, called Gurmit Danua. What I didn't know was that poor old Gurmit had quite a fear of Americans. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why. I really don't. But they were in this room together. And over the days, as this beautiful man and Gurmit saw these barriers start to come down, what was two hearts and two cultures and two ways of thinking and maybe prejudice and fears, I don't know, all thrown in one thing, was that you just saw the beauty of Christ arise in them. And in the end, Gurmit is a different person. Andrew, I'm sure it had a big impact on you as well. It's fabulous. And as we go to the nations, look at Paul, how he traveled with people. Look at the names in his team. They weren't all Hebrews with this great history, this great wonderful lineage that Paul had. He would take a Greek and he would take a man from Africa. He would take this one and that one. Why? Because when he got there, he would say, here are the people of God. We shouldn't be a people, but because of Jesus, because of his death on the cross, every dividing wall is gone and we can be one together. Please stand firm in this nation. Please stand for truth. I might lose a few of you right now, but please stand against walls of division. Jesus' plan is every tongue and every tribe. And when we start to build teams and churches where there's diversity, where people are willing to learn a new language, where people are willing to eat different food, where people are willing to celebrate in a different way, and learn and think, okay, my culture isn't so fantastic. I've got things to learn. We start to put Jesus on display. I wish I could spend more time on that. I don't know how much time I had. I don't know when I started. I don't know when I'm going to end. <laughs> you know, I think what happened, and Ray helped me a lot with this. He gave me a fabulous book by... Burnett, I forget, the, from Bethlehem, from Jerusalem to Patmos. Bethlehem to Patmos. Okay. Everybody get a copy of that. From Bethlehem to Patmos by Paul Barnett. And this book gives you an insight into the birth of the early church. And he argues in there that after the resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Spirit and the birth of this new community, that suddenly the Scriptures started to make a whole lot more sense. And suddenly these apostles are pouring through the Psalms and through the writings of Moses and through Isaiah and the prophets and finding Jesus on every page. On every page, there is nothing 
like diversity. And so when they see Barnabas come through, they suddenly think, Psalm 2. Yeah, what do you think? Psalm 97. Ah, I've got 40, uh, Isaiah 42. It's in there, it's in there, it's here it is, there it is. Celebrate diversity. In the Middle East, there is the most beautiful desert. And right in the heart of the desert, in one of the um, uh, nations within the United Arab Emirates, is one called Elain. And right in the middle of Elain is a, a mountain that is about a kilometer high. Just so you've got desert and you've got this mountain. You know, like the puma of God. I can't explain it to you. And as they do in the Middle East, they cut the top off and put a hotel on the top. And it was, so, it was so great because as believers, they made us so welcome there. And so I used it on numerous occasions for leadership meetings. On the one time, there were about 42 of us from 19 different nations. You know, some with Eastern looks, some with Anglo looks. We had all different people, Indians and Africans and this one and that one. And over the days, we were there for three nights. This big group would come and have dinner and sharing. There'd be lots of noise and laughter. And one morning I got up and I went down early to breakfast. And I was sitting on my own getting ready to teach that morning, going through my notes. And this lovely young lady came and served. She said, would like coffee? I said, oh, please. She gave me coffee. And then I realized she was lingering. So I looked at her and said, thank you. And she said, she stopped and came back. She said, may I ask you something? So I said, certainly. She said, who are you? I, at first, I didn't know what she meant. She, I was like, well, I'm Stephen, and you know. <laughs> and she said, no, who are you? She'd been watching us. Every tongue and tribe. The love, the community, the laughter, the fellowship. When Jesus is put on display in diversity, there's lots to celebrate, and the world takes notice. Secondly, I believe that the apostles would have celebrated as Barnabas popped up the outworking of the anointing on him. Because he is this guy. They even have to change his name because of the effectiveness of his gift. Wow. Such was the nature that they say, we can't call him Joseph. Let's call him Barnabas. Wouldn't that be lovely? 120 had received the Spirit, and there was evidence. Now there was evidence of what Peter had explained to the crowds at Pentecost in this man. They were seeing it on display. So they said, we can't. This, the Spirit's got hold of this guy. Now he just, he's such an encourager. He's a strengthener by words and action. What a lovely gift to have in any church. And thank you for the encouragement we've received. I know all of us visiting here have been great. Let me ask you a question. What would your friends and family call you in terms of your spiritual gift or your spiritual nature? Barnabas was so different. Thirdly, 
I believe they would have celebrate, celebrated the fact that he was sold out for the wider mission. Last night, we, I don't know if as Ray said, I too was really caught up in that word because many years ago, 1992, I saw the Church of Jesus Christ for what it was meant to be. Never seen it before. In fact, it irritated me before then. Felt locked down and what's the sense of this? Until one day, that beautiful bride was opened up before my eyes. Everything changed from being a businessman. It didn't, I had to lay that down, captivated. And it seems that God is highlighting this at the summit because I'm repeating so much of what Trevor said. And we don't confer about our messages and say, would you do this and I'll do that. We come seeking God for you and for ourselves. We don't come just to teach, we come to learn as well. We bring you what God places in our hearts and it seems that Barnabas's heart response was, uh, was seeing the bigger picture and I think that's the call on this conference. That God's creating an apostolic vacuum that he wants to draw us into. That here in Missoula, people will speak about this place and Montana as a place where God moved mightily. All it's waiting for is our heart response to God. All it's waiting for. On the final day of our leaders meeting down in Clarence, we gave every man an opportunity to speak and there was one brother who said to me, Steve, thanked me for the week and he shared some of the things that God was changing, challenging, shaping, and he said, I want you to know I'm all in. Can't tell you how I felt. Does your church leader know you're all in? Because I believe that's what God wants. The opportunities are there for us to be all in, to throw ourselves into the purposes of God. And very quickly, just two more. I think what they would have celebrated, as Trevor so wonderfully illustrated last night, is they, they celebrate a man who wasn't looking for his own ministry, but one who wanted to participate in the wider call. For us in regions beyond, we want to mobilize every gift. For any teachers, we need some teachers down in South Africa at the moment. I think I asked last year, nobody volunteered. Just been there now. But to see each and every gift mobilized for the purposes of God, as I mentioned, as I started, I think the apostles celebrated this. I thought, God, give us more like this. And then I think they celebrated that he was a man of faith. It takes a lot to lay things down, to make yourself vulnerable, to give away what makes you, you. But I want to tell you, and once you do it and you free yourself up from the many things that bog us down and hold us down, you come into this place, you start living in the kingdom now where, where you live or what culture you're in or what city you're embracing 
doesn't matter so much anymore. You've counted as a privilege. I catch the train into London and I come out and it's thousands of people. Those who've been to London, it's just unbelievable. I walk down the streets, I think, God, all these people, all these nations, and you've called me to be here. Such a privilege. And you think, I could be whining about not being on the most beautiful farm in the world. Sorry, Josh, but you know that. You've been to our farm, eh? No, you're... Could be why no. When you come into the purposes of God, when you when you're able to say, "Listen, I've got this. I want to lay that down for the purposes of God." He takes you into this place, place of peace. We sang about it earlier. Just this indescribable peace of where we are, of who we with, has become an apostolic people. Let me close with this. You've seen the impact of one act of togetherness on a small township in South Africa, Manyaseng. You changed a few lives by giving, I think it was about, I don't know, $12,000 last year. And now God has multiplied what we did. And I believe a town will be impacted. That's what you've done. It's what we've done together. One of the privileges that Ray, myself, Trevor, others who do this type of ministry is that we get to go to most of the big conferences throughout the year or big meetings, which means that we do run about six or seven special offerings a year. You're supposed to laugh at that time. I tell you, it's a privilege. When I stand here and I look there, and I haven't been to Manyat Singh Church for ages, I look at it and I think, I remember that day where I said, guys, this has got to stop. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm putting the ax to the root. In order for this to go up, it's going to come down. The seed is going to die. And it fell to the ground and a little shoot came up and now, Imagine if we could rename everybody in this room in line with their effectiveness in their gifts. Wow. What a people group we could become. I need some Barnas, Barnabases and Barnabai. <laughs> Will you be one? If you get a chance, go and chat to Linda Stemple. I think you're in Kansas City now, are you? Is that right? It's hard to keep track where everybody goes. And their heart for Ethiopia. Brothers and sisters, there is a great work as Trevor laid out. Come and join us. We're going to help you, but you need to help us. Come and join us in this great work. Would you please stand? What if I could have the microphone? Josh, in fact, if you come over here and stand there, just switch it on. I want you to just close your eyes. Put your hands out in front of you. And I want you to think 
of this great state, Montana, or maybe if you're from Idaho or South Dakota, I don't mind, because I know we've got Washington, thank you. I wonder if you could just think of your state, your area, and ask God to say, Lord, where would you love a new church? Come on, ask him. Ask him. And if God lays something on your heart, I wonder if you could walk to the front to Josh and just come and speak the name of that place and we'll all give it a good cheer as you do that. Let's speak over dry bones this morning together, okay? So walk to the front and if you, God puts a town, a city, a small village, uh, whatever you call them here, walk to the front and say, just shout into the microphone and prophesy over that place. Come quickly, come on, if you're carrying one in your heart. Thank you, Ray. Drummond. Drummond. Come yes. on, everybody, a good cheer. <laughs> Great Falls. Amen. Here we go. The Bitterroot Valley. Amen. Come on, Lord. Bitter Valley. Come on, there must be some more. I know there's lots of open space here, but there are lots of towns. Browning. Amen. Wow. Lewistown. Amen. Yes. Been through there. I actually invested in that place. I got a $100 speeding fine. <laughs> Confession time. Clan um, excuse me. Clancy, Montana. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Come on, there must be some more. Must be some more. Come on, Lord. Put it in our hearts. Thank you, John. Pullman, Washington. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. One more, two more. Here we go. White Sulphur Springs in Livingston area. I didn't get that, but you did. Thank you, Jesus. Just put your hands out right now. Lord Jesus. Lord, captivate our hearts, arrest our hearts. Help us, Lord, to rise to this amazing challenge of the adventure before us. Over these towns we prophesy, and we say, let there be life. Lord, how can we not go and make you famous in these places? And I pray in this community and many others who will join us over the months and the years that you would raise up Barnabases, young men, young ladies, families, older ones, those entering retirement, who feel the stirring, Lord, to begin something in your name because it's on your heart. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. Now move upon us, I pray, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you 
want to respond to that word that you've been living off the gleanings earlier, please come to the front right now. I'll pray for you. Otherwise, let's go have some coffee. I haven't a clue what's happening after this because I must probably destroyed so many plans that you had. Thanks, Trevor. We're going to have a short, yeah.